Amen. So we're going to see three things this morning. Paul is going to be giving reminders of his time in Thessalonica, the reception of the gospel in Thessalonica, and his rejoicing over the work that occurred in Thessalonica. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So what Paul is beginning to do in this section is give some reminders of their time in Thessalonica. You see, Chapter 1, it was great because what, what Paul was focused on was just saying, man, we celebrate what God did in Thessalonica. He started with, like, the good news. The good news that, man, you guys, again, you turn from idols to serve the true and living God. I love that Paul didn't begin the letter with, let's just talk about the problems. Let's talk about concerns. Let's talk about accusations, false accusations. He began rejoicing with gratitude over what the Lord has done. See, I think this is a good model. I know in corporate management, it was one of these things, don't bring like, like, like problems unless you have a suggestion for how to fix it. Or if you can bring something positive, don't kill the whole room when we're planning things. <laughs> and see, for Paul, it's almost like, I'm going to start by saying how good the Lord has been in the work that he's done. Keeps you optimistic in ministry. Because can I tell you, just in Christian life, if you only focus on the things that are miserable, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> But when you can go, hey, things are kind of tough right now. <laughs> there are things that are difficult. But remember what God has done in the past. That changes everything. <laughs> and see, when we look back, I hope we look back to what the Lord has done. Not just looking back on like, oh man, that was miserable and that was terrible. We need to remember what the Lord has done to save us from those things. And see, what Paul was doing in, in chapter 1, he was saying, man, the Lord has done so much great work there. And see, what he's going to do in this chapter, though, he's going to defend himself against what we imagine are false accusations that were brought against Paul. You see, we know in Acts 17 that Paul had to leave town because the Thessalonians sent him away to Berea at night. Because there were Jews that were, that were zealous. They were zealous for Judaism. They, were, they, they did not approve of Paul's message to invite Gentiles in without first becoming Jews, like converting to Judaism. The fact that Christ alone could save everyone and anyone? They didn't like that. They didn't like that Paul went from being this zealous Hebrew of Hebrews to a man who was now submitted to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. They would follow him town to town. You can read this. We studied the book of Acts, right? Everywhere Paul went, there was opposition. There was attack. It sometimes came in the form of like storms and shipwreck. Nature, right? Like, I believe Satan just trying to prevent, hindering, hindering Paul from getting places. We had times where it came from within the own, his own church, the early church, right? Division that could arise. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, the split that occurred there, that had potential to destroy their mission work. We had times where it was outside fleshly opposition, like the Jewish people that were, were fighting against Paul. We had people that were so confused with their pagan worship that they thought that Paul was a god at one point. And when he said he wasn't, they wanted to stone him, right? That was interesting. So either you get demonized or idolized when you're doing ministry. There's no in-between, it turns out. <laughs> and see, this is what Paul is doing. He's going to answer these kinds of things. But what he does in verse 1... He wants them to reflect upon the way that they came into Thessalonica and what the Lord had done. He said, we did not come to you in vain. And see, that word vain is kenos in the Greek. It means fruitless. And see, in Acts 17, 2-4, we're told that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they experienced a fruitful ministry there in Thessalonica. There was evidential proof that God was moving in their midst. You see, it said in Acts 17, 2-4, it said, For three Sabbaths they reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And that's when they all began to turn from all those things they used to trust in. 
All the things they used to serve, all the things they used to worship, false idols, false gods, the, just the, the, the fleshly carnal things of this world. They abandoned those things and started to follow the Lord according to 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. But see, in verse 2 it says, this came after we had suffered before we were spitefully treated at Philippi. So this is important to note. See, some of the accusations that came against Paul, when you get all of the scriptures together, you take Galatians and whatnot, and you take these different epistles, and you start to find out that people were trying to make it difficult for Paul to minister. They were opposing him in many ways. And here, what he's saying in verse 2, he says, we came to you and we suffered even before we got to you. And see, what this is saying, many people were accusing Paul of being a guy that would just go around, and he was in it for himself, for his own glory, for the money, for, for the, the, the fame, for the fortune, all these things, for his own pride's sake. But this is important to note. He says, hey, this wasn't like a pleasure cruise to get to you guys. <laughs> it's not like we said, man, you know what would be cool is to just go sail around, just hang out on the coasts, talk to people, right? Make some good money, right? This is going to be great. There's going to be many things in here that Paul reminds them. Things like, man, I had to labor. I made tents for a living. I, he was supported by other churches while he was ministering to the Thessalonians to be above reproach. He would do these things so that no one could accuse him, but yet people still accused him of doing these things for the wrong reasons. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're serving the Lord in spirit and in truth, but people around you will say, that's not right. I don't approve of that. That's not of the Lord. You can't do that. They don't have scriptural basis. They don't have true evidence. And even though you've done everything you can to be above reproach, there's still attack. Have you ever been there? I'll tell you, come into ministry, you'll be there at some point. Everyone has an opinion on how ministry should go. And that when you say, okay, like, where is that biblically? Well, I don't know. I just don't like it. You're like, well, okay, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. This went further. This isn't just people not liking things. These are people trying to fight the ministry of Paul. And see, Paul says, man, you know what we suffered at Philippi before we even got to Thessalonica and were persecuted there? He says, in Philippi, you can read about it. It's in Acts 16, 16 through 40. They were imprisoned. They were beaten with rods. They were locked in a dungeon inside stocks. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're totally doing this for the experience, guys. This is what we enjoy to do. We're sick like that, right? See, Paul's saying, don't think that we just go around like these other traveling speakers and philosophers. You see, that was a, an actual vocation at that time. It was almost, it's funny, it kind of makes me think of like podcasters and YouTube now, right? People are like, I got a hot take, man. Like, subscribe and like my video, right? And then they're making money on ads and things. They don't care about who's watching. They just want the money. They just want clicks, right? Well, there were guys that would come to town and they'd be like, oh, let me, you know, we'll, we'll talk philosophy. And they were orators. They were guys that just spoke so beautifully and eloquently. And here comes Paul, of course, which Paul says, I'm not an orator, man. <laughs> like, he, I don't know what Paul sounded like, but it sounds like he wasn't real polished. He, he knew the word through and through. We understand that. And that's where the power was, the spirit and the word. Amen? Well, he came into town and people were like, oh, he's just like these other guys. See, his opponents were trying to say that he was in ministry for all the wrong reasons. And it's interesting, you know, Paul described his ministry, his experiences, the harsh realities of ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, 26 through 27. He says, I was in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, I can relate to that one, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul's like, yeah, we're totally doing this because it's just fun, right? Let me be clear. There is joy in serving the Lord, amen? But do not confuse like, like glory with glamour. We sometimes have to do things that are not very glamorous, but they're glorious because it's simply obedience to the Lord. You may go to a job that you're like, this is not the idea of glamour that I had in mind, but do you know that the Lord has you in such a place for such a time as this? And you're like, this can't be it, <laughs> But no, the Lord has you there and says, just commit to me. Be obedient. Are you in perils of, 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 of the sea and of water? and all? That was a lot of perils, by the way, in that list, right? 
Paul, Paul's like, we live a perilous life. <laughs> He's like, and people are accusing us of being like, like just doing this for the comforts. He says, despite all the things that happened in Philippi, if that wasn't enough, we still came to you in Thessalonica, Acts 17. <laughs> he didn't bail out in Acts 16. He continued his journey, and we see the rest of the book of Acts. He continues to just commit to the things of the Lord despite the attacks of the enemy, the attacks of man. All those things, he commits to it. And it's awesome because he said in verse, in verse 2 that they were bold in our God to speak to them the gospel of God in much conflict. <laughs> I tell you what the church needs, and I'm talking the church, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. We need boldness in the Spirit. Do you remember what we looked at at the end of Mark 16? When Jesus is calling them to fulfill the Great Commission, if you remember, he ascends in Mark 16, but in Acts 1, we get more in depth of what Jesus said it, but right before his ascension. And in Acts 1.8, after he's told his disciples, he says, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go start going out everywhere yet, because you need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He says, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. If you don't have the boldness of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get kicked and beat down and run out of ministry. <laughs> and you might hear ministry this morning. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about on this stage and in these four walls. We're all in ministry. Amen. We're all called to be witnesses, to testify of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting because the word for witness in the Greek is martyr. <laughs> You know, to give your life. What did Jesus say it was to follow him in Luke 9, 23? It's to take up his cross daily and follow him. Deny yourself. Die to self and follow Jesus, knowing that your existence, your very being of who you are now as a new creation is hidden in him. And so in this case, Paul says, we endured all these things. We go through these things because we had the boldness of the spirit and we preached the gospel, even though it was chaos and conflict around us. And then he talks about the message in verse 3. He says, our exhortation didn't come from error, uncleanness, or deceit. This is important because the word for exhortation is paraklesis. It means instruction or teaching. And he says, what we taught, our message, it wasn't from error, uncleanness, or deceit. That means that what it was, it was not morally wrong. It was not impure in their motives, nor was it crafted to deceive people. And see, isn't that interesting that you can hear what someone's teaching from the pulpit and you can say, hey, does this align with Scripture? Is this morally true? Is it morally right according to Scripture? Is the person preaching it with pure motives? Now, you might say, well, I can't see their heart, but you can see what the takeaway of the message is and say, is that biblical? Amen? See, there's prosperity gospels. There's the woke gospel that's happening right now. And I know everyone throws that word around. Let me just tell you what that means. When everyone starts saying everything opposite of the Bible, I believe that's that woke movement. <laughs> I don't care. Well, you may see that as a race thing or as like an LGBTQ thing as woke. It's when it opposes the Bible, it's waking up to the things of man and thinking that you know better than God. That's terrifying. We once were blind, but now we see in Jesus. That's as awake as you can be. You don't need to get more woke. Amen. <laughs> And see, in this section, he says, you heard our message. It was morally true. If someone is teaching you that sin is acceptable, that's not the true message of the Bible. What did Paul say in Thessalonica? Turn from your idols. That's not a message that you bring to build a fan base. That's not a message you bring to fill seats normally. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in here. This is kind of cool. We're preaching the gospel. You guys are crazy and you're in. I love it. Amen. <laughs> We are about getting after things of the Lord. And I'll tell you, sometimes it cuts. Sometimes it hurts. But man, we need to be pruned to produce that fruit in the Lord. And see, he brought this message. And when it was, it was so true, it was so powerful. He says, we're not like those other people. You see, in 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul said, We are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You know, there are people that peddle the gospel. People that, that, that use it to their advantage when it's profitable. When the money goes away, guess who goes away? All those false teachers. Or they'll just change their message. Whatever can make them money. Whatever can puff them up and give them pride. They're a dime a dozen. 
And I'm telling you this, man, you hold me accountable. Hold everyone accountable. Hold them according to the word. If they're not teaching the word of God, their life doesn't align with it. Dude, we got to be on, 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 on alert. Amen. There are still people out today that are in ministry purely for a buck. That breaks my heart. First of all, there's many ways to go make a dollar. Be a man and go do it rightly. Don't cheat people. Don't come into the church and say, cool, this is a chance for me to promote myself and make dough. Go somewhere else and do that. Man, the Lord, but I will tell you this, the Lord provides for his people when you do it sincerely. We know it, right? You know, if the Lord's called you somewhere, you're like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Here you are today. The Lord sustained you, amen? Paul went through all these perils, all these things, all these attacks. He's like, I'm still alive and I'm doing it. And our message was not an easy one to receive. He says, the message and the results itself show that we are not the guys that all the opponents are making us out to be. Look what he says in verse 4 through 6. He says, But as we have appro been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, <laughs> nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So in this section, what he's now reminding them of, again, of his sincere preaching. So there was a sincere work of the Lord happening in Thessalonica. The message was pure. But then he says, let's think more about this message that we brought, the sincerity of it. He says, though envious men may disapprove of us, we know that we're approved by God. <laughs> That's an important statement, isn't it? That people might tell you, no, 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 what you're doing, this, this, that. Have you sought the Lord in spirit and in truth? Have you used his word to guide what you're doing? Then I'm going to be honest, you have to answer to the Lord. <laughs> Men's opinions change all the time. We've talked about this. You might try to win man's opinion today and get it, and tomorrow they'll change their mind on what they want. That's exhausting. Do you know that the Lord is unchanging? <laughs> It's so wonderful that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8. When he says, hey, do this, it's so wonderful. Because that word's not going to change. That word's going to stand forever. Now, again, the process might change sometimes. We've all been there, right? We talked about this at the men's retreat this weekend. There have been times where it's like the Lord said, in this situation in 2011, do it this way, that way, and this way. Then, 2021... Okay, same kind of situation, but when I pray and seek the Lord, it turns out he has a whole different way of me doing it, but it's still according to his word, amen? amen. See, he doesn't change, his word doesn't change, but sometimes he'll call you, hey, you have to trust me here that you just need to sit and pray. In this season, I need you to be actively out and moving and working. <laughs> now, if I don't seek the Lord, I don't know what he might have me for doing for every season, but I need to be ready to submit and obey whatever he calls me to do. And see, for Paul... Here in verse, in verse 4, he says, look, it, we didn't try to win men over. We wanted to please God because we've been entrusted with his gospel. He says, we weren't like out here trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Who are we trying to please? <laughs> this is a temptation for everybody. You might pretend it's not. You might say, I'm above opinions of man. But there's someone somewhere that you are desiring to, I don't know, impress, convince like, there's something there. And man, that's terrifying. Because there's one who is worthy of all of our commitment, who actually is blessed as we commit to him, and it's the Lord. <laughs> and see, it says in Psalm 44.1, he knows the secrets of the heart. And see, I think it's awesome because it says God tests our hearts. He blessed their ministry because he saw their hearts. Now, let me be clear. When I talk about blessing, I'm not talking about numerically. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about cars and jets. That's not what we're talking about. People think that's a blessed ministry. <laughs> Praise the Lord when the Lord gives you a building to do ministry in. Praise the Lord if he brings more people to hear the truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen. But if that's your motivation, that's not, that's not the way to measure success in ministry. The way to measure success is to see, man, are people being changed by the power of the gospel? Whether it be one or many, are we teaching the gospel in spirit and in truth and are people being changed? Because God is watching what we're doing. He knows our hearts. Are we here for money? 
Are we here for our own promotion? Or are we here to feed the flock that he purchased with his own blood, according to Acts 20, 28? That's a huge statement when you realize God purchased this flock with his blood. By the way, when did God bleed? At the cross. <laughs> God the Son, amen? And so... In 1 Corinthians 4.1, Paul said, Let men consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That we would handle this stuff as, like a, a good steward, as a stewardship. And it says in verse 5, he says, We didn't go about using flattering words. And I like how he says, As you know. <laughs> I'm thinking when Paul came to Thessalonica, people are like, Cool, another guy that's going to make us feel good, right? And give us some good ideas. He's like, You guys are sinners and need to repent. <laughs> They're like, Whoa, this is different. <laughs> This is not what we're used to. And he says, I wasn't using flattering words, which makes me personally think of like smooth-talking politicians. Guys that are like, hey, man, we'll build that road. <laughs> we're going to fix that thing. We're going to do this thing. Then they, You know what's sad? We know they're not going to do any of those things. Generally speaking, we vote for them hoping they'll do them. But we're like, oh, there's going to be red tape. There's going to be processes. At least we voted for like the rat with the shorter tail. That's what people have said, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I don't mean all politicians. Let me be clear. But generally speaking, I see guys how smooth talking they are to just get a vote. Man, I can get that position if I get your vote. I can get your funding if I can convince you to believe in me. Paul says, I'm not here to get you guys to think anything about me. I need you to think about who the Lord is and how you need to respond to him. Amen. And see, it's interesting here. He says, we also didn't use it as a cloak of covetousness. That means we didn't, like, use the ministry as, like, this, this, this pretend thing to try to convince you guys to give us money or give us fame, give us glory. You see, I think it's interesting when people accuse the church of doing things, because I think it kind of reveals their heart and their accusations when they're not true. You understand what I'm saying? So if someone says, oh, the church just cares about getting my money. Do you know what their God is? Money. They're fearful that they're going to have to lose their God. And you guys have been here with us week after week. We are not putting a thermometer on the stage to say we need more money to get a building. <laughs> We're not going to do a bake sale. We don't do those things, amen? We trust the Lord. And I'll tell you, the Lord is taking awesome care of His church at Calvary Chapel McKinney. It absolutely blows our minds. And it's because I believe we're teaching the Word of God and we're going where He guides. <laughs> where He leads, where He guides, He provides. Amen. And that's not just in ministry, that's in individual lives as well. And so it's interesting. <laughs> Jesus talked about people that would go around doing like, things like that. Religious leaders. He said in Matthew 23, 14, He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders. You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. And see, that's why Paul here in verse 5, he says, God is witness. The God that's going to judge those that are doing all those wrong things with wrong intent, they're going to have to stand before God someday and answer why they fleeced the flock, why they stole from people, why they tried to convince people to follow them rather than Jesus. Paul says, we are stewards of the gospel. We're going to have to stand before God someday. When the church and when believers forget who they serve and who they're going to have to answer to, man, things get messy. But when we remember, man, we're going to stand before the Lord and we desire that we would say, he, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all desire to hear, amen? And Paul says that's what we're longing for. He says again in verse 6, this is interesting, he says, we didn't seek glory from men, from you or others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. This has a sense of more glory. We're going to talk about the money thing a little more in a minute, but the glory. You see, there were people, I think about the Pharisees, that would walk around in their long robes, and they would walk around in their giant phylacteries, right? <laughs> and they would say, look at how holy we are. And they would build followers to themselves. They'd build an audience that would follow them. And then you had guys like Paul who came, and people would probably say, wait, Paul? Paul that was a member of the Sanhedrin? Paul, a guy that was, oh, so radically changed on the road to Damascus? Oh, you're an apostle of Christ. Let's exalt you. And he says, oh, we could have made demands in a way that people would have followed us for who we are. But he says, we didn't do that. Because that's not why we're here for ministry. <laughs> That's never been the intention of Paul. It shouldn't be an intention of us who serve the Lord. John 7, 18 says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. And see, Paul and his fellow laborers, they preached not of themselves, but what they preached was Christ crucified, according to 1 Corinthians 1.23. Every message should remind us that we were sinners who had been saved by the cross. Amen? That instrument of death has become a pathway of life because of Jesus' commitment to obey the Father. His willingness to die in our place to become the payment, the propitiation for our sins. When we understand that, what else can we possibly talk about? We teach the Word of God, but it always has to come back to Jesus. We should be rejoicing that, man, the whole reason we're here is because of what Jesus has done. It's not about us. And I love that Paul said in Galatians 6.14, he said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I don't chase these things like fame and glory, Paul would say, because I've been crucified to this world through Jesus Christ. And I want you to die to this world as well as you trust in Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And see, again, I, I shared this with you, but commentators, I, I love reading John Walver or David Guzik. These guys are just, they study all these different commentators and history books. And they said there were many people that went around and they would travel, philosophers, orators. They would just try to go around. And what they would do is they'd get people to follow them for a couple weeks in a city. They'd tell them, hey, you got to give, like, like, build my name up, build a reputation, come follow me, give me some money. And then they'd just bounce to the next town. It was a, like a traveling circuit they would all go on and do, and they would just convince people of these things. And see, Paul says, we're not like that. <laughs> we're not here for those things. Look what he says in verse 7 through 9. He says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And see, what he's doing is reminding them of the loving conduct that they had. Orators, philosophers, they'd come to town. They didn't love the people. They might say it in word, but it was not there in action. Paul says, we were different. I think it's interesting <laughs> Paul says, we didn't come making heavy demands. We didn't come here to be a burden. You know what we did? We came here and we were gentle. I think that's funny. The word is apias. It means mild and tender. <laughs> like a mother cares for her child. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny here because Paul, Paul is a guy. I mean, think about it. Paul is a guy that has been through so much. He's done so many. He's seen so many hard things. He's experienced difficulties. And what does he compare himself to? A mother who loves her little child. <laughs> I don't know. This is like when Jesus considers himself like a hand-gathering chicks. That was his desire. We were at a men's retreat yesterday. And our hats had like skulls and swords on them, right? <laughs> if I would have said, guys, we need to be like mothers that nurse and care for their children, they'd be like, what? This is weird, right? This is Paul. A guy that went around dragging people to prison that was totally good with having uh, Stephen stoned, right? And now he says, we came to you guys. We just loved you. We were mild. We didn't seek you anything from you. We poured into you guys. That should be ministry, by the way. We don't come here thinking, man, I hope everyone gives to me today. I don't know. I'm not talking about me on the stage. I'm talking about all of us, amen? Esteem others better than yourselves, Philippians 2.3. Look for opportunities to serve those around you. Now, I'm not saying you can't come in here weak and need prayer today. But man, when you get prayer, look for someone else to pray for. It's incredible what happens when we take our eyes off our problems and put them on others and care for them, all in the name of the Lord. <laughs> and see, Paul says, we came here, and man, this word that has to do with, with, with gentle, it's awesome because again, it speaks of how a mother cherishes her own child, and that word cherishes is thalpo means to foster with tender care. A mother gives to her child selflessly, diligently, and patiently all that she has. I've watched my wife care for our two children for the last 10, 8, and 10 years. <laughs> Sleepless nights. 
I got, I got a lot of sleep, by the way. My wife's so good. I don't know. Like, my wife's like, just go. Stay, I'll take care of this. They want me anyways. I don't know. I'm blessed to have a really good wife in those things. And so I, I got to stress this. My wife has the patience, selflessness to say, I'm going to pour into these guys. I'm going to pour into them all the time. I'm going to give anything. Like She'll alter her whole schedule, her whole plan, her whole routine for those children. And you know what she gets back from them in return? <laughs> Nothing now. <laughs> There's not a whole lot that they can do. No, don't get me wrong. We love it, but are they paying the bills for her? Are they doing anything? Do you think my wife's like, now here's the bill for me taking care of you guys? That, was, that would be absurd. They're unable to do so, right? But you do that now because you love them and you're investing, hoping that they mature into functioning grown adults. <laughs> Paul says, I didn't come here to make money. I came to pour into you that someday you will glorify God and walk as we have. I'm not like those other guys, Paul says. I don't need a dime from you. I don't need glory from you. I am here to care for you and to love you as a mother loves her children. And he says, we imparted to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because you became dear to us. I've seen many ministries where it's really good at teaching at people. But if you have a counseling need, if you have a life matter, it's kind of hard to get a hold of the guy that's been teaching you all week. It's like, oh, no, I'm here to teach. Dude, you're here to minister. Teaching is an important, integral part. We want to teach the Word. This is like, I believe, my big yes in ministry. I have to be ready every Sunday to teach you guys. I take that very seriously. But I also, when I get a call, when I get a text, when I get an email, I have to be ready to go. This is as important as teaching them on Sunday because they're my flock. <laughs> They've been stewarded to me. And sometimes that can get difficult. I've told you guys I'm worried about the church getting so big because I believe that's an important part. I love bringing on other pastors and things like that. That'll be a blessing when that occurs. But right now, I love the fact that, man, I can be with you guys because <laughs> you're all dear to me. And I hope you know that. <laughs> For those of you who know me well, this isn't me just like playing this. And let me be clear, that's not of me. Before I came to the Lord, I'd be like, forget you guys, right? <laughs> just being real. <laughs> you come to the Lord. You come, it's me, me, me all the time until we come to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it's like, dude, it ain't about me anymore. Paul says, it's not about my comforts. I'm going to go through perils just to take the gospel. People might totally reject me. But man, when they receive it, they become so dear to me. They become my people, and I just want to be with them and see people. People were saying that Paul, man, he just bounced on you guys because he doesn't love you. He's just like all the other teachers. He says, no, we gave of our very life to you. We let you come in. We weren't just a Sunday morning pastor. We opened our life to you. When you wanted to talk to us, we're with you. When we could have an opportunity to teach you and preach you in action and in life and in love, we did that. And see, that's different than all the guys that would go, like, cool, I have my rehearsed speech. I'm going to come and deliver and get a following and then move to the next town. Paul says, no, I'm going to let you come in. And you're going to learn and grow with me as I grow in the Lord. That is, that is what I believe discipleship looks like. I think it's interesting that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. <laughs> that is the heart of ministry. I will gladly give everything I have, including everything that I have of myself, if I can be used for the glory of God. Man, that checks our heart in everything that we're doing, the reasons that we're doing it, Right? We say, man, what's in it for me? Look, at you're not going to hell anymore. You put your trust in the Lord. You've got eternal life. That's what's in it for you, amen? amen. Everything else now, you're a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. We start to get in these spots. Well, how's that work for me? How's that work for my convenience? How's that work for my comfort? Paul says, man, you're here to follow the example of Jesus. Praise the Lord that Jesus didn't say, what's in this for me? <laughs> Jesus went to a cross and died for us. And he says, come and follow after me. <laughs> And see in verse 9 again, this is important because Paul says, Look, you remember how we labored and toiled, laboring night and day. And the words that are here, it's not just laboring in ministry. This seems to be like he kept a trade. Now, if you compare all of the epistles, the book of Acts, and everything about Paul, there were times where Paul was supported in ministry by the church that he was teaching. We see that. There were other times where I believe Paul felt led by the Lord and in his conscience said, you know what? I can't take anything here. That will actually be a stumbling block to this group for whatever reason. And it's interesting, the Lord always provided for him. But you know what had to happen sometimes? Paul had to work sometimes. 
Paul had to make tents. We're told that he was a tent maker in Acts 18.3. That's a term that we use for missionaries these days. Like, oh, what, what are you doing to make tents? Like, what, you're a tent maker. What are you doing for a living? And it, the idea is, like, for me, I taught music lessons when I got here, right? <laughs> I did marketing for years while I served at the church. There were times where I got paid to be on staff. There were times where I didn't get, the paid, get, didn't get paid to be on staff. But I'll tell you, there were years where, as Paul says, hey, I will gladly be spent and spend for the sake of the gospel. There have been times where, I, where we all know this. You do ministry at a loss sometimes financially, but somehow the Lord preserves you and takes care of you. Amen? And what you have to do is like, man, I'm going to go to work and do these things. And I'll tell you, I'm just going to be totally transparent. One of the hardest things for me, leaving the comforts of Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley to come and plant here, was kind of like, man, I, I kind of feel like I, 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 I'm, I made it. I'm on staff at a Calvary Chapel. And that's what I've always desired. And like, when you have the dream, why would I shake that up? Why would I leave that? Lord, I'm serving you. I love the people and they love me and we're all having a great time. But Lord, you're stirring me to step away from that? Can I just tell you, Paul had to do that city to city. It changed sometimes. Now, it's interesting. We're told in Philippians 4 that the Philippians supported Paul while he was in Thessalonica, not the Thessalonians. Now, Paul didn't make demands of the Thessalonians, and I believe he had just called them out of serving gods in this pagan materialistic culture. So if Paul says, hey, you guys need to stop following money, by the way, you need to support me. That would be a, it would seem like a contradiction, Amen. He says, I'm not going to do that to you guys. I'm getting taken care of. The Lord has his ways of providing for me. I'm going to make tents. There's some, there's some donations coming in from other places that can bear such a thing. And I'm just going to minister to you. I'm never going to hit you up for cash. I'm never going to hit you up for glory. And man, have you ever been in a church that does three or four tithes in a service because they don't feel like you gave enough today? <laughs> I've heard stories of these things. I've heard stories of the pastor saying things like, for the next three people bring a check for $10,000, they're going to have a special blessing and there's a race to the pulpit. That's manipulation. It's wrong. Man, do you not trust the Lord to provide for His church? You know what? When you don't teach the Word, you've got to trust in yourself. You teach the Word, the Lord takes care of everything. Paul taught the Word and said, sometimes I work, sometimes I get provided for it. All is the same to me. I will work as long as I can serve the Lord. And if I am too busy to work, the Lord will provide for me if I step all the way into ministry. And I will tell you, the Lord does the same today. <laughs> there have been seasons where I said, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's do it. Time, He'll multiply your time. He'll multiply your resources in ways that you can't understand. I'm not talking about riches and wealth. I'm talking about like, man, did Wells Fargo make a mistake, right? Like, I should be at zero. But praise the Lord for that class action lawsuit. And they sent me a check, right? So there's things like, <laughs> there's things like that. You're like, wow, this worked out okay. These are the things we're talking about. Don't hear that as some prosperity gospel. That like, oh, just give everything you have and the Lord will have to on it. Be a good steward. Be wise. But there are seasons to ministry, there's seasons to your life in the Lord where they're going to vary, they're going to look different. Look at verse 10 through 12. It says, Your witnesses and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul says, okay, we came to you, we taught a powerful gospel, proven by your response. We came here and we loved on you guys. We didn't seek our glory. We didn't seek money. He says, we loved you like a mother loves her child and cherishes her. But this is awesome. <laughs> He says, think about how devoutly, justly, and blamelessly we lived. Man, this is a whole nother level. You could on the front not ask for money, not ask for glory, but what's happening in your life can people see that the gospel has changed you? You know, people can act humble. They can do the right things, but in, a, in the inside, just be a mess. But yet he says, you guys knew us well because we opened our lives to you. And do you know what you saw? He says, you saw that we were, again, we were blameless. We lived devoutly. We were just before you. We lived right before God, right before man. Blameless does not mean perfection. It means that if there was something that would cause a stumbling, we got that out of our lives. We didn't walk in a way that would offend people. We didn't walk in a way that would just absolutely turn people away. Now, the gospel itself, we've said it, is offensive. If people get offended because of the Word of God, that's their issue. Now, if people get offended by me because I refuse to cut away the things in my life that line up with the gospel, I'm going to have to answer for that. Does that make sense? 
See, we want to make sure that we're not putting anything in the way of people that could come to the Lord and look at our lives and say, man, that's, that's a problem. You see, Paul wrote to, first, wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12 later in his life. He said, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Live above reproach. You guys ever heard that statement before? I didn't know that statement a lot until I met my future wife, right? And I, she was like, yeah, we have to live above reproach. I'm like, I don't even know what that word means. What is that reproach, right? And she's like, no, it's like, you don't want anyone to be able to accuse you of something based on the things that you're engaged in. The things that you're doing, the things that you're saying. And I was like super carnal coming out of the world. Don't get me wrong, I still have tendencies to be super carnal, I'm sure. <laughs> I have to still confess my sins and come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. And we all know that. 1 John 1, 9, we all have to do that. Amen? But see, when I came to the Lord and my wife, she was one of the first people to see, there was a calling. She said, I think you're going to be in ministry. I don't know. We thought like a worship leader or something. But wherever it is, even if you're not in ministry, you carry the banner of King Jesus. Are you representing the King rightly where you're at? And there were just certain things in my life that I would say there were liberties but then I started to realize, man, my liberties could stumble some people around me. And the Lord, through his, through his word and through His Spirit, slowly started removing things. And I say slowly. It was clunky. <laughs> and the Lord removed things. And it's interesting. Those things that He took, that I was sometimes so gripping with closed hands, when I opened my hands and gave them to the Lord, the Lord would use those things to minister to others later. Like, I was not a chain smoker, but I loved myself a fine cigar. <laughs> I love smoking cigars. Every payday, I would get a cigar. Drive home in my beautiful 2004 Cadillac DeVille that had all kinds of muffler issues and everything else. I thought I was so cool. With my cigar, with my windows down, right? Listening to like Greg Laurie, by the way, but just smoking my cigar, hanging out, and, <laughs> and driving home. And I just remember the Lord started to say like, dude, what are you doing? Here's my deal. It's like, it's a waste of money. <laughs> it's not great for your health. And my, my wife didn't like it. <laughs> My wife was like, it smells. I think it's not the best example. And so I wasn't, again, I wasn't like a chain smoker, but I remember laying it down, August 19th, 2016. That's how much I love them. And so the following year, I went into ministry. I went into full-time ministry at Calvary Pomona Valley. And one of, two of the guys that I got really close to, both of them struggled with smoking. And they said, hey man, you probably can't relate to this, but I really want to quit smoking. I was like, hmm, believe it or not, I can understand this a little bit. And it's funny because I feel like if I was still just casually smoking a cigar, which was a liberty, could I really in good faith tell these guys, hey, I believe that you can quit. I believe you should, like if that's what the Lord laid on your heart. But meanwhile, the Lord told me to and I'm not. That would be contradiction. That would be hypocrisy. Now again, hear me out. You like cigars? Cool. Praise the Lord, you got that liberty. I'm kind of jealous of you. But here's the deal. If the Lord tries to take it from you, be ready to lay it down. But any liberty you may have. Secular music was something that the Lord has played with with me over the years. <laughs> Certain stuff can stay, but there's some stuff you know has to go. That was hard being in a music industry, working in a music store, teaching music lessons. People say, I want to I learn the most filthiest song that exists in existence. And you're like, all right, let's sit here for a half hour and meditate on this terrible music, right? And you're like, what do you do? You're kind of an at-will employee, and there's th things like that. It was hard. You kind of... And praise the Lord, you know, he, he gives, I love that the Lord would start bringing people who are like, I want to learn worship. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Well, Texas, Texas, I had people want to learn worship. That didn't happen in California. That was kind of cool. So, <laughs> but all of that, I digress. Let's bring it back here. We have this whole thing here where they live justly, blamelessly, but I think it's important. Why was this? So that they could exhort, they could comfort, and they could charge everyone as a father does to his own children. So we're going to love you like a mother cherishes her children. That's awesome. But we're going to exhort you like a father exhorts his children. There's got to be this balance of I love you, but because I love you, you're going to get cut by the word sometimes. You're going to get rebuilt. You're going to be encouraged. As he says, we encourage you. We comforted you. We implored you. We called you to do these things. And see, it says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the goal of ministry. Not that you give me your money or you get us a building or you do this. You know what the goal is? That you would glorify God until the end of the race. <laughs> That's why we do ministry. If we're in it for any other reason, get out. 
There's a lot of other trades, as every other trade. Do not use the ministry for self-glorification, self-promotion, self-advancement in any way. Amen? Paul says, they may accuse me of those things, but everything in our life proves the opposite. Praise the Lord for Paul's commitment to submit to the leading of the Spirit, to take away the things that would leave him blamed before man. He always desired to live above reproach, and he loved those that he ministered to. Look at verse 13 through 16. It says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So now Paul is no longer just reminding them of things. He's reflecting upon the reception of the gospel in Thessalonica. And he says he thanks God without ceasing. Always just a, a, an attitude, a heart of gratitude of what the Lord has done. And he says, I'm just rejoicing because you welcome this message. It wasn't the words of men. It wasn't words of Paul and Timothy and Silas. It was the word of God. I know I said this over and over. I, I understand. You guys don't come here because you think you're getting my words. I hope you know that. There's a reason we teach verse by verse. There's a reason that I fire off cross-references at you from Scripture. You don't need my word. You need the word of God. Amen. That is the foundation we are to build upon. That is the foundation we should be preaching and teaching. And man, when, when someone receives it, when carnal man is willing to receive that word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews 4.12 says, piercing, dividing, even joint and marrow and soul and spirit to discerner of the intents and the hearts of men, when that happens, man, in ministry, we just rejoice. Like, I can't believe they favorably received that. They welcomed it. Praise the Lord, because that is a work of the Holy Spirit. We don't want that in our flesh, amen? It's uncomfortable. We remember in the world, we didn't want to hear about the gospel. We didn't want to hear about Jesus because there is power in the name of Jesus. We were made to submit to his word, to submit to his plan for our lives. And man, the enemy wants to do everything he can to get us from not doing it. And see, they submitted to the application. They submitted to the teaching. And what Paul says in verse 14, he says that they became imitators of the churches of God in Judea. That's where Jerusalem was located. That's a cool statement to encourage the Thessalonians, first of all. I'm sorry, Thessalonians. He says, you guys look like the very churches where this whole thing began. That's awesome. How many times, I'm just going to tell you, how many like Calvary Chapel people do I have here? You went to Calvary before you came here. Okay, a lot of you. You've heard this a lot. Oh, man, the stuff that used to happen at Calvary Costa Mesa with Pastor Chuck. Oh, man, it was awesome. Like, oh, and everyone's kind of like, oh, we just want that again. That would be cool. Like, there's a desire. There's a reason I wear a Hawaiian shirt every Sunday, right? I'm, I didn't come up with this. This is a Chuck move right here, right? I'm an imitator sometimes, a lot of times. And it's the reality of I'm trying to imitate him as he imitated Paul who imitated Christ, right? Not because Paul wore a Hawaiian shirt, but because they taught the word verse by verse and in truth and everything. And there's something about like, man, we want to be like the early church we talk about. We want to be about Costa Mesa, right? We want to be like that back in the day. But it's funny, there, there's something that comes with this. He says, hey, this is cool. You guys are acting and you're changed. You actually want to be like them. But do you know how else they were like them? They were persecuted. They suffered in the same manner, suffering the same things from their own countrymen. You see, those people that began to follow Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea, they left Judaism and came into Jesus Christ. They were still very Jewish. But they didn't participate in the offerings of sacrifice, right? They said, Jesus is our sacrifice now. We'll still go to the temple for the hour of prayer, but we are not staying for the hour of sacrifice. Jesus is our king. Man, that was so radical. And that was dangerous to proclaim such a thing. 
Amen. Their own neighbors, their own families would turn against them and they would persecute them. And it's interesting because Paul says here, he says, look it, this shouldn't be shocking. Really. He explains it in verse 15. He says, they did this to the Lord Jesus. They killed him. They, Israel generally, they notoriously rejected their own prophets. I mean, Isaiah, Jeremiah, <laughs> Elijah. These men were rejected by the people at the time when they arrived. John the Baptist. His ministry didn't end the way that most prosperity gospel preachers would tell you how it goes. John the Baptist got beheaded for preaching the truth. Jesus got killed on a cross. And Paul's basically trying to encourage them to say, hey, this is awesome. You're grown like the church. You're doing the things that we love to see. And it's all fun and it's awesome and there's joy. But what comes with that is trial, persecution. It was told to me years ago, hey, if you're in ministry and you're serving the Lord and there's no attack, something might be wrong. <laughs> like, and you take a look at your life and you're like, well, I guess I'm not talking about it at all. I guess I'm actually not ch changed at all. I haven't actually committed to these things. When you commit to the truth that is Jesus Christ, man, families get divided. Friends get divided. Your social group changes. You don't go the places you used to go to and everyone's like, why is that? And you have an opportunity, but also a challenge in front of you to preach the gospel of God to carnal men that are blind to these things. But they're opportunities. Those threats become opportunities because we get to preach gospel. And sometimes man will hear it and repent. Amen? So they said, we're still going to endure this even though our own families have left us. For the Thessalonians, man, they saw Paul endured this in Philippi before he came to Thessalonica. And he says, hey, you guys will, will encounter the same things, but you should endure it just as I have, just as Christ has, just as the prophets who were before you. Amen? And see, they endured. They continued. It wasn't just when it was easy. Their own neighbors and families would reject them because they said, you're leaving our pagan gods to follow Jesus? That's weird. We don't like that. You think we're sinners? And it's interesting because the Gentile pagans, they had thousands of gods. But when you bring up the name of Jesus, that's divisive. You could follow any other God and it wouldn't be divisive. But when you follow Jesus, there's a conviction that happens and people don't want to be around it. If they're fighting against it, it is uncomfortable because we're told the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to convict, comes to tell us what is right and what is sin. John 16, 8. That's when the Holy Spirit's on the outside telling us, turn to Jesus, stop doing those things. That moral compass in us, the Holy Spirit triggers it to say, these are not right things that you're doing. And man, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> but what happened here, they committed to it. And what Paul encouraged them in, in verse 16, he says, these men, though they forbid us to speak to Gentiles like the Thessalonians, that they might be saved. He says, look, these guys are filling up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. We talked about this a little bit this past weekend at the retreat. We should never be boasting in the fact that people are going to hell. We don't boast that wrath is coming upon man. That shouldn't make us like, yeah, let's do it, Lord. Let me be clear. The Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Amen? 2 Peter 3.9. He says in Ezekiel 18.32, he says, turn and live. I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Repent. But there is a fact that wrath and judgment are coming to those that reject Jesus Christ. And see, we see it in Revelation when the martyred tribulation saints are crying out to the Lord, when is judgment coming? Oh, it's coming. And in that sense, it's, it's encouraging and comforting because you're questioning where is the justice of God in all this? And so though I don't boast in it, I do realize that, man, all things will be made right and Jesus will be glorified. But what that gives for me is not to, you know, just sit around and do nothing. It's to be encouraged to go tell everyone who doesn't know. Man, the building's on fire. Get out. Get out of this place and save. Trust in the name of Jesus who will save you. And see, he says, that's what we came to do. But those that are fighting against it, there is a whole community. I have friends from the world still on Instagram and Facebook, and they live to try to deny that Jesus is Lord to argue against the memes that I see, just making fun of the Bible, making fun of Christ, the blasphemies that are occurring in the current culture. And man, they're trying to not only stop you from believing, and we see it in our community, they're trying to keep the next generation from embracing Jesus Christ. And you know that they're going to have to answer for that. 
And it says here, they're actually filling up the measure of their sins for wrath. People that think that they're helping people by preventing them to come to Jesus, they're going to have to answer for that someday. Now, how do we counter that? We, the church, get to tell everyone about Jesus. Even when it's hard, even when there's opposition, even when it comes with beatings with rods or whatever else is Paul endured, he said, I'm still going to preach it. Jesus suffered it. I suffered it. The prophets suffered it. You guys suffered it. Understand that Jesus is going to make all things right in his time. Be on the right side. Man, what are we doing to fulfill the Great Commission? <laughs> I hope you know we have a living testimony with the Holy Spirit working in us, bringing fruit out of our lives as we yield to Him, grow in the Word, and man, may we tell others who Jesus is. Amen? Look at this last section. It's a quick one. Look at 17 through 20. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What a beautiful sentence. <laughs> We're not in this for our own glory. We're not in this for riches. You, converted, changed believers, are our glory and joy in the Lord. Who gets the credit when someone comes to the Lord? Jesus, not me. And you're the joy that Jesus is working in your life. That is awesome. I have one note on this and we're done. I think this is interesting. He says, the reason we left, we were taken away from you. Note that. People were accusing Paul of being like all the other guys that just bounced town to town. Hey, he disappeared after three weeks. Well, we're told in Acts 17 that the zealous Jews, those envious Jews, they chased them out. And the Thessalonians sent them away because they loved them and didn't want them to die. <laughs> And now these guys come in there telling the, Thessal the Thessalonians, hey, Paul must not love you because he left you. And maybe they're starting to question that. And Paul's like, man, we were taken away from you. And see, the word that's there for taken away is aparfenizo. It is used only here in the New Testament. And in the Greek, it has to do with the bereavement that a child suffers when they're young and actually lose both of their parents when they're orphaned. That's very different than the word taken away, I think. Important why we want to study the original language in these things. Find out what these words mean. He was suffering as if he was taken. His, his family was stolen from him too soon. And he says, I miss you guys so much. He goes, I have tried over and over to get back to you. He says, but Satan hindered me. <laughs> this is funny. Satan, he tries to hinder Paul. The word for hinder is ekopto. It means to impede one's course by cutting off his way. Paul's trying to get back Thessalonians. And all these people are saying, Paul doesn't love you. Paul doesn't care for you. You can see how Satan says, man, if I keep Paul from getting here, maybe these Thessalonians will believe these accusations and they'll turn from the Lord as they turn from Paul. But you know what's funny? Satan played himself. <laughs> Guess what Paul did? We said this is the first letter that we believe that Paul wrote. Guess what he did? He wrote letters. <laughs> Instead of just showing up in person speaking, they didn't have podcasts and recording devices. If Paul just goes and speaks to the Thessalonians, we don't have the New Testament, <laughs> much of it, that Paul wrote. But because Satan told him, don't go there, you can't go there, and put all these roadblocks away, Paul picks up a pen, and he starts writing. And now we have preserved for us in our scriptures the very letters that Paul wrote because he was hindered by Satan. We are studying this today because God will sometimes allow Satan to think he's getting away with something, and God will use it for his glory. <laughs> Think about Job 1. Job is brought before, right? It brought up, Satan says, you know what? I could get that guy. He will curse you if you let me get him. What's the Lord say? You can do whatever, just don't kill him. Limitations. And you know that eternally, Job ended up being more blessed for it. It was hard. It was, I can't imagine the things that Job, Job suffered in this life physically, but eternally, he was better off for it and the Lord received glory for it. Amen. Job 42.2, he said, I now know that you can do everything and no purpose of your hand can be withheld from you. I've realized that through the trial. And see, Paul, Paul says, man, I'm going to write these letters. And he says, man, I'll tell you what I'm going to rejoice in. Even though Satan has hindered me, even though everyone is out to accuse us, even though there's attack and persecution, he says, I'm going to rejoice in the fact that if you continue with the Lord, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord at his return, at his coming. Are you ready for the Lord's return this morning? Yes. 
This is what we live for. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's the way the Bible ends. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is what we're praying for. And if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation in Jesus Christ. That is our goal as ministers. That should be the goal of the church. I don't care what denomination. The goal is to preach the word that you would know Jesus and draw into him and follow him with everything that you have. It was never about man's glory. It was never about man's riches. It is about coming to know Jesus Christ and to know him in sincerity that you might know life more abundantly. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me? We'll pray.